I think it's fair to say that Lazarus had a tough time and the rich man didn't. Now, there are many people who will say that uh, the rich man did nothing wrong, was certainly was not presented as evil, fair enough. Lazarus uh, not presented as a saint, fair enough. But before we get into evaluating that, it's probably best just to listen to the parable our Lord presents before us and let us take its place and drop down a reply in the places where you think it should touch base, where it should touch base in our lives. It's often hard to bring across to people the importance of considering sins of omission. If I could tell you almost a funny story, when it comes to couples that I deal with for marriage, sometimes you become aware that they don't have any friends. And so instead of, I want to help them directly, they need friends to be happy, and they can be kind of grim. Maybe they scare people away, that's a separate issue. They have the right to friends, as long as they don't scare them. Scare them. Scare them. And uh, so to get through, do you know what I have to do? You really can't make this up. Shows you how crafty some of the clergy are. Not me, I'm speaking of other people. I'll say, you know, you have to have friends to mirror that for your children. Your children should see how to develop friendships. So you should have friends to mirror that so your children can learn. Well, that's true. <laughs> but it's also true, it's good to have friends for your own sake. And not to have them, if you think of what's required for life, a happy life, a basic life, humanity being humane, if that's not at the heart of life, whatever is, then would that not be a sin of omission? And yet it's hardly ever mentioned from our pulpits throughout the land. It's hard to explain sins of omission. In confession, we as Catholics have been taught to confess sins of commission, and we usually have a selected few, but we miss the larger range, we certainly miss the sins of omission, which are often greater in number, but more importantly, greater in quality the way they affect our lives and the lives of others. And it seems to me not unfair to say that the Lord is trying to get you and me to hear him today in this marvelous parable. That's just puzzling enough, enough of a pebble in our shoe to get our attention and to make us think and to ponder and to be converted and to have a crack at life and to have a chance at life. In a sense, don't you think Christ holds up a mirror to nature? Shakespeare did that, but I must say, I think St. Luke and our blessed Lord do that better. St. Francis of Assisi, the Franciscans at Art Street and throughout the land and world try to teach us to help the poor. People here do every Saturday with our food pantry. The loads of people I know, folks well off who brought in provisions on a Friday to help. I know people down there helping assemble the food, bring in the food that's provided in the neighborhood and then pass it out, the food that you bring every week, how remarkable and how good you are, and how important, how important that is. How important that is. How important that is. You know, popes through the centuries have tried to talk, tell us about what the poor face and what workers face. In 1891, the famed Rero Novarum, which Pius XI on the 40th anniversary wrote Quadragesimo Anno, and which Pope St. John Paul II, 100 years later, wrote Sensesimus Annus. And, and in his works, he called into question both capitalism and communism. He was no fan of communism, nor am I, nor I hope are you. 
And he also didn't think necessarily people had to beggar themselves to help other people because then everyone becomes a ward of the state. It's not really clear to me how that makes, helps anyone at all. But it's also true there can be sins of omission which are striking. So that, for instance, if some poor woman unable to support a baby in straightened circumstances come, leaves it at our front door on a Christmas Eve and rings the bell and runs away, and it's a blizzard outside. When we open the door and see the baby, we can't say, well, that's not my baby, and just close the door. The whole point of today's gospel propinquity, things that are nearby, they have to get us thinking. Now, you can be worried about everything everywhere to the point of madness. Surely you've seen the cup that's sold in malls that says, drink your coffee, people in India are awake. Drink your coffee, people in India are, uh, are sleeping. I'm sorry. Drink your coffee, people in India are asleep. And it's a parody of the one, finish your food, people in China are starving. Those points have their point. But it's also true it's up to us to ponder, to think, to decide, to make prudential forecasts about what to do, to notice and to change our lives. And therefore, the sin of omission of Dives, the rich man, with the person right at his gate where he could have made a difference, not troubling or taking the trouble to make a difference. Propinquity, the person right there, the evidence is right there. One has a chance to, one has a chance to ponder, one also has a chance to respond. It's a number of years ago, could it be a decade, that the bishops of Massachusetts in the four dioceses called all their priests together in the four separate dioceses because on Beacon Hill under the gold dome, Mr. Bullfinch's dome, they were mooting the matter of raising the minimum wage. And the bishop asked us to conscientize, to help inform our fellow citizens in the following way. That even if the minimum wage were raised, it still would not be a living wage. It still would not be a living wage. One of the greatest of the presidents said, no company in this country should offer a wage that isn't a living wage. I leave you to consider all those th things and sort them out. But it's certainly true that there are things which we have a chance to ponder. They're not easy things, they're difficult things. I remember once I wrote down, I was at Princeton, we all have our faults, we all have our secret sins, there we are, there, I opening the closet on the skeletons in mine. And I was a Princeton as a grad student, a postdoc in molecular biology doing cancer research. And one night, just for the heck of it, I wrote down what I th thought I should be doing each day, every week, every month, every year, born of a liberal education, born of being a religious, born of being a priest, born of being a Christian, born of being a Catholic. I had columns upon columns, upon columns, upon columns, in small print on an eight by 11 page. And it did reveal me to myself that no one could do all of that. But the flip side is, for so many of those things, one should at least try to be aware and to do what one could. I am surrounded here by people who do all that they can. If you think of the parents here, it's an incredible thing in a world where heating costs are going up and a hundred other things for people to not only look after the, the parents, the two of themselves, but other people who suddenly appear in the building. 
they look after their children, they get them to school, they pay the fees, they take care of transport. How could anyone do that but people do it? We have a food pantry downstairs. The food doesn't magically appear. You bring the food that's given out. There's a Catholic school system which helps not only educate students in the Catholic Christian faith, but also helps bring students in who perhaps are refugees from other countries. Once upon a time, I was on the board of Cambridge Catholic High School, and they pointed out that there were 30 or 40 different nationalities in the school. And I said, oh, you mean ethnic origins? They said, no nationalities. These are people who are doing just what the nuns did in our own time, helping bring people to mainstream them, mainstream them into the fullness of the American dream. May that dream be al always alive and ever new. There was an MBA student once who, uh, who got really worked up about the, the gap, the wall, whatever you want to call it, between Dives and Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. He kept saying, why can't there be that wall? Why, 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 why can't we get rid of that wall? Sorry, why can't we get rid of the wall? And that was the only focus. I said, well, one reason I can think of is if you got rid of the wall, there'd be no story. If you got rid of the wall, there'd be no story and there'd be no pebble to put into our shoe to get us to think and to feel. Another thing was, of course, he wasn't really considered about it from Lazarus's side in the beforehand. But if I can offer you an example to think with, I'll often say to the MBAs, the loveliest book ever written, in my, in my opinion, doesn't have to be yours, is the Gospel according to St. Luke. Think of the parables in there, the prodigal son and so on, our blessed Lord's stories. The loveliest book is St. Luke's Gospel. If you can't afford it, buy a copy of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Now in A Christmas Carol, we see that matter of utter Christian transformation of Scrooge. Scrooge is widely disliked. Scrooge has no friends. Scrooge doesn't work at it. But in art with great sensitivity, we have ghosts looking not forward to the present, but also to the past, much less the future. And in the past, it points out the harms done to Scrooge, the inattention, the sins of omission, where he was left alone and seemed unloved and the impact that that had on his life. In a sense, it's, you may say, turning the telescope the wrong way, I'm not so sure. I think it helps us understand other people and ourselves when we take that wider view. But surely this much is true. After his, as he becomes being converted, as he begins to be converted, as he's brought to look in on Bob Cratchit's house, he sees little uh, crutch there that Tiny Tim had. And he says, where's Tiny Tim? He's not at the table. And he suddenly, his heart is open and he's touched by the child. His heart is broken, but it's broken open. His heart is broken, but it's broken open. And he says, where is he? And the one taking him, the ghost of that period says, well, with the salary that Bob Cratchit had, there weren't enough funds for him to stay. And so he's been lost. And with that, he comes to see not just himself, but all of life and what he's here for in a different way. And by those examples, those moments of conversion, so do all of us. We have a magnificent chance today in hearing today's gospel. It could be flattened out. The abyss could be taken away. There's no more 
abyss, there's no more wall, there's no more, but we could leave it as it is so that the Lord would help us change our lives because it would be a horrible thing to miss what we were here on earth for. People will come up to us later and say, you know, you made a difference in my life. Your kindness, your generosity, you're taking time to support me and to build me up when you had many other things to do made all the difference in my life. And today's gospel tries to help us see that we often pass people by. We don't notice their trouble. But if we did, we would not only help them, but we would become who God truly meant us always to be. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.